Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast Season Postmortem Edition. Uh, my name is Joey Weaver. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Mike McDaniel. And for this one, we're going to talk about Boston College. And so we are joined once again on the program by our good friend, uh, f- formerly of BC Interruption, now of, I forget the name of the website, but it's the, uh, the Boston College Athletic Department, Mr. Dan Rubens on the program. Uh, Dan, how are you, sir? Just for the record, when we say the the name of the website, it's actually just bceagles.com. Um, it's real, I mean, really complicated on that. I know we we got to do that to you, Joey. No, it's uh, it's Eagles Unlimited off of bceagles.com. If you go to the team section on the Boston College Athletic Department's website, there's a link that gives us to to all of our stuff, and, and you can read read and watch. We do uh, we do videos, we got podcasts, we've got we've got a whole litany of stuff there that makes it fun. Yeah, go check it out. He does a good job. Um, by the way, Mike, how are you? I'm good. You know, I'm chilling, Joey. I'm chilling. It's uh, it's Championship Sunday in the NFL, so we're going to squeeze these in here uh, before inevitably watching our teams either go down horribly or play extremely well today. I'm from Atlanta, so I don't have high expectations. It's, oh, it's totally you can't, fair. You can't say that with a Boston College guy on the air. You're killing me. This is true. <laughs> Matt Ryan, pride of Boston College, uh, running the show down there for Atlanta. Um, but both of you guys are Patriots fans, so you've got your own share of anxiety. Although, I'd imagine it's a lot less than an Atlanta fan about to host Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, a lot of parades, man. So, you know, we're <laughs> hey, it's it, we're just we're what's the, what is it, Mike? What is it that Tom Brady always says? What's my favorite ring? It's the next one. The next one, yeah, the that's next right. One. <laughs> Good lord. All right, uh, so we got to talk about the Boston College uh, 2016 season here, Dan. Before we uh, wrap it up and kind of move on into 2017 stuff. Uh, so I want to start out, if you could kind of talk us through the story of the season here, it was, it was really kind of uh, pretty widely varying results for the Eagles, just depending on who they were playing, I guess. Very weird. Uh, helter skelter, herky jerky, whatever the term is that you, that you want to come up with. I know that's the term that actually Steve Adazio did use was, uh, was herky jerky. Uh, during the season, and, and he was he was absolutely what a dude, <laughs> what a bro. He was absolutely right in saying that. I mean, the you the teams that you were supposed to beat, you beat. Um, when you look at the the four um, group of five and FCS specials, when you're beating teams like Buffalo and Wagner and UMass and UConn, those aren't exactly you know the the top teams in the country. But your other teams and your other games. Um, you were, you became this year the the cent, the center part of the ACC. You beat teams that were a hair behind you, or beat teams that were like you. You beat a team like Wake Forest, can beat a team like NC State, can still lose to a team like Syracuse. Um, but then anytime you had to jump up in difficulty level and play the teams at the top of the league, the Clemsons, the Florida States, the Louisvilles, the Virginia Techs, um, it went really bad. Um, and and. And he'd be the first one to admit it, Steve Adazio. A lot of people 
know it, um, but there's no other way to slice it when you're losing a lot of games, 49 nothing, and and 52 to 10 or whatever it was. So the games you're supposed to win, you win. The games you're supposed to lose, they lost really bad. The games that they won in the middle there, they won, and it was it gives cause for optimism because they're trending upward. You go from three and nine to seven and six and a bowl win into the off season. So next year. Uh, you know, you put this season to rest and you start moving forward and you say, all right, now we know where they are this year and try to take another step forward next year. I guess give my Georgia Tech team a little bit of credit for being the only team to barely beat Boston College. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that a good thing? That was in, and on the yeah. first game of the season, I tell you, and, and I will say this, you were fourth and 26 away from not winning that game too. And you think about that and you think that Boston College would have wound up as an eight-win football team if Justin Thomas doesn't – and what are the odds of, a, of an option quarterback hitting a fourth and 26 pass in the fourth quarter with the game on the line? I mean, you're a Georgia Tech guy, Joey. What are, what are the odds of that actually happening? Well, I've been on a season-long crusade that Justin Thomas can throw the ball. Good so Lord. We, we probably shouldn't dive into that rabbit hole. But uh, on the on the real though, God bless that pass from Justin Thomas to Quay Cersei on like fourth and 26. That was great. Well, it was great for me. But. <laughs> you were in attendance too, you know, so. I was there, yeah. yeah. Made that uh, um, made that ticket and trip worthwhile. Oh, of course, of course, it was great. Um, also, we were there for my honeymoon, but you know, game, 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 honeymoon. <laughs> but, you know, what holds like more po- I would like Sorry, to point Maggie. out that in yeah. no way, shape, or form would I have been able to to pitch that as a as a honeymoon trip whatsoever. I probably would have been able to pitch hey, the could... country, but the minute the minute the football schedule came out, there would have been a glaring look and a no. <laughs> what can I say? I picked a winner. Uh, Dan, what would you say was the most surprising result uh, of the season in terms of just like on a single game basis? Uh, good and bad. I, I think I would take a result. I would think the, the, the good result honestly would have been the bowl game, the game against Maryland. Uh, it's, it was a 36-30 final and one of those games that was it was a marathon which i know the bowl games tend to be but it was a four-hour football game back and forth you're up 30 to 13 or whatever it was 29 13 at the half 23 second quarter points uh hold on give up a couple of explosive plays and and then down the stretch the defensive line holds on and and i think it was maryland ran something like 15 or 16 plays inside boston college like the red zone down the stretch and fumble this way, a fumble that way. It resembled in a lot of ways the end of the of the Wake Forest game that we try not to ever speak of in any stretch of the imagination from last year when you have a team that fumbles and then fumbles it back and then fumbles it back and then it goes back and forth. But the end of that game, it was a, uh, it was a true stand by BC. It was the offense got it done when they needed to. The defense made the stand when it absolutely had to. And they did it against a power conference team who was very much like them. So you had took a team like Maryland who had that result, who had lost to the teams that were substantially better than them, had beaten the teams that they were better than, and went into the bowl game against a team that they were like and wound up with, with, a, with an instant classic of a bowl game. So it, uh, I think that was a very surprising game because a lot of people would have expected BC, number one, to play a grinded-out football game 
and they scored 36 points. And, I mean, the, the, what was the over-under in that game? Whatever it was, the over... It was shattered at the half. Yeah, and I think BC had... I think that was the most points they had scored in one half of football in years against a, a power conference team. So the grinded-out football just, just didn't happen. On the flip side, the surprising loss is definitely the Syracuse loss. You lose 28-20 on homecoming. Sure, it's a rivalry game. Uh, sure, it's a rival in general that... You know, those games, anything can happen, and Syracuse is Boston College's chief rival. Um, but when you factor in the weather that they had, the pouring rain, it, it, I mean, you can look at it, and there's a 1,001 different reasons why Syracuse had played very well coming into that game. Dino Babers had his team rolling. But at the same time, I mean, when you look at the way Syracuse played this year and, and the fact they didn't go to a bowl game, that's a win that I think Boston College probably left on the table. And and it really, and again, I come back to the story of the season. You take Syracuse back on the table and you take Georgia Tech back, which two games that you, you can argue that BC should have won. All of a sudden they're a nine-win football game, football team. And I think saying those words uh, pretty much shock a lot of people too. So surprising on both sides they were, um, and I think they wound up exactly where they are. I mean, it is what it is. They finished seven and six. A couple plays this way, they could have been a – you know, five-win team, a couple plays the other way, they're a nine-win team. Mike, I have, why do I have a feeling that if I ask you if you thought those were the two most surprising games of the year, you would say that there was another one that surprised you more? There were there were many games on Boston College's schedule that surprised me, Joey. Um, <laughs> the, the fact they made it to seven wins, and, and Dan, uh, you can probably speak to this a little bit better than I could, um, but the victory against NC State I thought was – I. I wouldn't say, I mean, it looked more impressive than it probably was towards the end of the year, but NC State came back, they won a bunch of games down the stretch, and they end up having a, a pretty successful year under Dave Doran. So you look at that one, you got to be pretty happy with that. And then, of course, the Wake Forest came at the end of the year, and Joey and I are sitting here saying, yeah, let's go steam and Deeks. And then Boston College goes on the road and gets it done. Pretty impressive. But the, the question I had for you, Dan, uh, was related to just quarterback play at Patrick Tolles. And Joey and I kind of threw this around a bunch. Uh you know, it couldn't get much worse at quarterback for Boston College over the last couple of years. And you look at Tolls, he got, you know, 12 touchdowns, seven picks, doesn't quite throw for 2,000 yards on the year. But overall, I think it would be a successful year, even completing just 50% of his passes, I thought was an upgrade from what Boston College has had at quarterback the last few seasons. Well, yeah, the, the, the quarterback situation was a was a train wreck coming out of the 3-9 and nine season. And, and everybody knew it. I mean, the, the quarterback situation was bad. You start four guys over the course of a season – None of them were, were probably – none of them should have been taking snaps that year. And you go three and nine, you lose all those games, you wind up with the worst offense in college football and one of the worst offenses pretty much around. And, and there's a lot of people who, you know, who can say that, and I think they're, I think they're dead on with their assessment of Boston College uh, offense, you know, two years ago, two, se two full seasons ago now. Last season they went out and got Patrick Tolles as, a, as kind of the insurance policy, the fifth-year grad transfer. He was a starter. Patrick Tolles isn't the best starter, I think, uh, that you that when you look at the guys and you say, well, who could be starting right now if, if you're in the ACC? I don't think you look at Patrick Tolles and you say, well, I'm so glad that we have him as our as our starting quarterback. I wish we had him for four years. I don't necessarily think that. What I think about Patrick Tolles is that he did exactly what you needed him to do, which is stabilize the position. He wasn't going to go out and throw for 350 yards in a game. I don't necessarily think that they were asking him to do that. All they were asking him to do was move the chains on drive on, on drive to drive, series to series. And he was able to do that with some success. Um, he wound up as one of the team's best rushers, and it was one of those, all right, we'll call a play, 
He'll get the ball. He'll look for the receiver. If it's not there and you think you can get to the sticks, run it to the sticks. That's fine. And and he was able to do that. He had the trust of, uh, of the offense. And the offense really got better as the year went on. I think when you look at the beginning of the season, um, it was adequate and very basic in the Georgia Tech game. It got a little better against UMass. Uh, it had a nightmare of a day, which was due in no in large part to a number of reasons against Virginia Tech. And then slowly got better as the year went on, even though they ran into, you know, games where they look great against Buffalo. Well, Buffalo is a MAC team. Then they would look awful against Florida State. But then at the end, you saw what happened when everything kind of came together in synergy, which was Tolls was able to run the offense. The offense developed. They developed a couple of weapons to give him. Jeff Smith, who was one of the quarterbacks from, you know, the, the ill-fated 2015 uh, season, um, he, he turns into a decent wide receiver and a deep threat. They developed a tight end in Tommy Sweeney, um, gave Tolls a couple of options. It opened up the running game. They, they developed Davon Jones as a running back. And as the team got better, Tolls got better and was able to do exactly what was asked of him. Now, you, you stabilize the position for a year. You start training the guys behind him, guys like Darius Wade. Anthony Brown was a, a redshirted this past year. And I think it gives hope to the future that – you know, Tolls came in, did his job. You didn't have to throw anyone to the Wolves, and next year you move forward. I think this year goes down as a very, very big transition year, and Patrick Tolls, you know, like I said, he's not going to go out and be the, the best quarterback in college football. Nobody expected him to be. He did exactly what was asked of him, and in the end, that's all you could really ask for, especially after what happened two seasons ago. He made a couple of huge throws in that bowl game. Yes. I mean, you, you – you saw glimpses throughout the year that like the talent was there and he could make some of the throws. Um, I guess just that maybe the consistency was what, what he kind of lacked on a, you know, a large scale basis. Do I have that right? Yeah. And, and this consistency wise is due to the fact he had no chemistry with anyone at the beginning of the year. So Steve Adazio really harped on youth and development this year, and it drove a lot of fans, especially nuts to hear it. Um, but the fact remains is when we use the term youth, we sometimes talk about a youthful team. Doesn't necessarily mean youthful age-wise, because Patrick Tolles was a graduate transfer. Youthful is in a sense that when they played Georgia Tech, it was the first time that Tolles had played with those receivers. First time those receivers were on the field with him and in the offense in general. They weren't experienced receivers at all in the offense. And you had a new offensive coordinator in Scott Loeffler. Uh, Mike, I know a guy that you've watched many different times down at Virginia Tech. and Nightmare. He, yeah, he was a nightmare for you. Um, but, you know, you look at the development-wise and you see some of the things that he was able to do with the Boston College staff and you say, it was tough. All of these guys came in and, he, all right, they maybe weren't able to do it elsewhere and maybe came in with a reputation of that. Let's see what they can do working together. And as they worked together and got better, the offense got much more consistent. And, you know, I, I, I always say Virginia Tech fans have a hard time you know, maybe hearing or hearing what we say about Scott Loeffler and Kentucky fans definitely have a hard time hearing what we say about Patrick Tolles. But at the end of the year, they were clicking and they were clicking with some of the receivers. And it, it does lend a lot of optimism moving forward. And I think that is key. If you if you get the right personnel for what you can do and you can stabilize it and you can do it right moving forward. This isn't a one-year rebuild, and I think you know next year is going to be a big year for these guys, especially guys like Scott Loeffler and the receivers, and when they bring in the the next quarterback after Patrick Tolles. So speaking of the coaches, um, I mean, so they they 
Boston College finishes the year strong, as you mentioned. I mean, they finished on three straight wins, a shutout win over UConn, uh, a road win over a pretty decent Wake Forest team, and then a bowl game win over, uh, I guess, a, an even ma- evenly matched uh, Maryland team. I mean, does that you know is that momentum that then can be built on moving forward for Steve Adazio here? Absolutely, and and this is an article that uh, that we actually wrote about where we called it a springboard to the future. Um, Steve Adazio had had talked about how much of a springboard this really could be. The extra practices, winning in a bowl game, how much a bowl game really does mean. I know everyone likes to talk about the number of bowl games, but it's a you know the it's more about for me not going to a bowl game is worse than if you go to a bowl game and just by going six and six and you wind up in the in the bowl game that they wound up in, the quick lane bowl. You go six and six and you wind up in a bowl and now you're coming back. It's better than going five and seven and not more four and eight and not making a bowl. Um, so they go to those postseason practices, playing the bowl game, winning three straight to end the year. All of that contributed to what they were referring to as the springboard. So moving forward, Steve Adazio has some of the pieces in place. Um, I think he's, I think, you know, it's tough and I understand the, the toughness to a lot of people who can look and see the losses and the bad losses and, and see those losses and how much that really does hurt a program and you realize how far behind those teams at the top you really are, but you can't recover that and you can't build up to that in one year. And I think if you look at moving forward, he's got momentum. I think Boston college has momentum. And I think that if you can, if you can, if you can't see it, it's understandable. But if you look hard enough, Boston College is a program that, if they continue trending the way that they did at the end of the season, when everything started coming together, they might be able to pick off a couple of more wins. Might be able to be a team that maybe not next year, maybe it's the year after, but resemble a little bit of those nine-win Duke teams, those eight-win Duke teams that took a little while to get going, and then once they did, they put together a couple of really good seasons. Yeah, I mean that's. That's totally fair. I think the one question I have for you, Dan, heading into next season, uh, when, when you talk about Adazio and the way that you know he's recruited. Now, obviously, if you're Boston College, you're a program that doesn't necessarily pull in top-flight recruits every year. Um, that can only be said for a handful of schools in the ACC. BC kind of makes their living getting some in-state guys, uh, getting some guys that kind of fly under the radar, and then coaching them up, which is you know the, the bread and butter of a lot of these teams, especially in the ACC. You know, the, the four- and five-star names are flashy, but the three-star guys kind of make the, make up the base of your team. And uh, I think that can be said for Boston College as well. Oh, it absolutely can. And, and Boston College is the type of team that, you know, I always say this about National Signing Day for Boston College. Uh, you're never getting, like, when you see those guys with the hats and you're waiting for the surprise, we're not getting any of those surprises at Boston College. You know exactly what you're getting, which you're right, Mike. You're getting the three-star guys, the type of guys who are going to come in, develop, play strong, become better athletes matt ryan was only i think a three-star recruit out of uh out of high school and he turned into you know one of the best quarterbacks the arguably the best quarterback boston college has had not named flutie um so he's you know those are guys that you you can't see them step in as freshmen and play right away uh because when they do you wind up with a three and nine season because you had 80 uh 50 or 60 odd guys on the roster that were redshirt sophomores, true sophomores, freshmen, true freshmen. I mean, you just, you can't win under those circumstances. So you trust the development process. So you get guys in who are going to be like that. And and that's fine You're as long as you're able to develop them. And in that development, maybe you're able to pick off one or two really good recruits. Last year, they had a, uh, a four-star recruit by the name of Ethan Tucky. 
Ethan Tucky never saw the field this year for Boston College. This year, they have another four-star recruit that they picked off, A.J. Dillon, who's a running back who was originally committed to Michigan. He commits to Boston College, and, uh, you know, maybe he's the type of guy who comes in and you say, well, here comes a four-star guy. Maybe he doesn't play next year. Maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a case where you look at your stable of running back and say, let's hold him back, and you're always building in the recruiting game for three years down the road. You're never looking for a guy. You do occasionally get guys who are impact freshmen, guys like Mark Herzlick, who started as a freshman. Luke Keekley as a freshman was, was unbelievable. But those guys also are only coming in as three-star guys, and those are diamonds in the rough, and you can't really bank on getting those – every year that, you know, oh, well, here comes the impact five-star freshman. That's never been Boston College's M.O. It's never going to be Boston College's M.O. You're looking for guys who, as they say, decide to fly and decide to come in, commit to the program, and say we can make Boston College a team that can compete in the ACC. But coming off a 3-9 and nine season, maybe it doesn't happen right away, but that's fine. At one point, we, will, we did compete, and we will compete again. Dan, last question for me. Uh, as we as we look forward to 2017, uh, Boston College returns a ton of production on offense. Basically, all they got to re- replace on offense, for for all intents and purposes, is Patrick Tolles. But on defense is where they really start to take a lot of losses. Uh, most most importantly, in my mind, is Matt Milano. Uh, he's graduating. He's moving on. There's a lot of, I guess, pieces that continue to graduate and leave from that defense that was so dominant in 2015 and, again, was – really pretty good in 2016 as well. Um, what, what's your just general outlook as we as we look forward to, uh, to 2017 here for Boston College? Well, thank God Harold Landry's coming back. Uh, Harold Landry, who is the national leader in sacks, he uh, finished the year actually with 22 tackles for a loss and wound up with 16 and a half sacks, led the nation. He didn't go to the NFL draft. He, he, he said that he's going to come back and finish his career at Boston College. He could conceivably break the sack record next year, and having him on the line immediately makes your defensive line incredibly competitive. And you, one thing about Boston College is that their system is always – you're always losing guys, and you're always replacing them with guys coming in. And system-wise, the Don Brown defense is what, what they used to refer to it. Don Brown was the defensive coordinator. He left for Michigan, was replaced by uh, Jim Reed, who was a former coach at Richmond, former head coach at UMass. Also, a former, uh, he came as a linebackers coach from uh, Iowa back to back to New England. But there was the system that was in place that Steve Adazio's defensive system, which is funny given that he's an offensive coach, but the defensive system is such an, uh, in a way that whoever you lose can just be replaced by another part that knows how to do their job. And maybe it's you change. They went from being a blitzing defense that was number one in the country to a little bit more um, – explosive but can give up the but gives up an explosive play this past year clearly you know needs a, needs to rely a little bit more on offensive production to get off the field so that they're to stay on the field rather on offense so that you're not running on the field every 30 seconds two years ago that wasn't a problem last year it was um but matt milano's gone um john johnson in the secondary is gone guys like that are tough to replace so you're going to see a shift in boston college i think the defensive line is going to play a big role uh, Truman Goodapple, I believe, is gone. But you're bringing back guys like, right, excuse me, like Ray Smith, like um, Noah Merritt, are names that you're gonna learn. And maybe it's not the linebacker that's gonna get the job done. Guys like Milano are very tough to replace. But then you look at the defensive line and say maybe this guy then switches into doing his job. 
and this might sound like a like a dumb follow-up question, but when you look at 2015 and how heavily the offense relied on the defense to get stops just because the offense wasn't producing any sort of offense, this year I think you had another solid defense, maybe not quite as good as 2015, obviously, uh, but, but a solid defense to supplement an improving offense. And it sounds like next year with the amount of guys that are going to be lost on the defensive side of the football, the offense might be more heavily relied upon. Is that correct? Um, I think it's safe to say. I know one of the things that I wrote about, and it was maybe a, maybe a couple of even weeks ago, um, on, was the concept of synergy between the offense and the defense. And, and I think that a lot of people maybe didn't want to recognize it because of how good the defense was a year ago. Uh, two years ago, rather, and then a year ago, last season, this past year in 2016. I can never tell. Should we call it last season, two seasons ago? I can never remember years. But the um, the 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 offense, if it didn't, if it couldn't convert on third downs and it couldn't sustain a drive, and the defense wound up on the field way too often, Virginia Tech happened. 49 nothing, um, and the offense, and then it snowballed. And the defense was giving up plays, and the offense wound up and couldn't get it moving. And then the the defense had the opposing defense had momentum against Clemson. Clemson just rolled. I mean, that was that was an offense that was clicking on all cylinders. Defense couldn't get off the field on third down. Offense had to get more aggressive. Couldn't work. Defense wound up back on the field. You give up a ton of points. Louisville, defense couldn't stop the, you know, Lamar Jackson. Offense tried to do too much. You snowball. So I think next year, you're going to – they wanted to achieve balance. I think we started to see the hallmarks of balance this year. And balance can go a number of ways. Run pass, offense, defense – However you want to slice it, Boston College next year, I would be willing to say, are trying to find that balance so that they can be a team defensively that can stop a team and then grind out some drives on offense to grind out the opposing team's defense and let that well-rested defense, you reach that nice synergy where you own the time of possession and you're holding the other team defensively while you're at it. And I think that's the end game, and I think that's what they're continuing to work towards. I think I need to start using the word synergy more. I like that word. Oh, it's a personal favorite. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Um, well, Dan, I don't have any more questions. Mike, do you have any? You good? No, I'm good. The recruiting, the recruiting part was helpful just to see how they were going to replace that side of the ball on defense because that's you know to Joey's point. I mean, that's going to be be a big part of next year's team is how you know how are they going to bounce back from losing all the guys they're losing on a defense that's been one of the best in the ACC the last two seasons. Yeah, I, I, this is. I feel weird saying this, but this is kind of the first time in a while that I've really kind of gotten the sense that Boston College was really like building towards something. Um, I felt like for a while it was just kind of uh, them sort of hanging out and you know being like a four or five win team, you know, not really accomplishing a ton. Uh, it's been several years, I guess, since they've like put together you know high high performance uh, on a consistent basis. Um, but at this point, it does feel like they're kind of building towards something and, and something that uh, really we should start seeing the the uh, the product of, I guess, here in the next couple of years. Well, it's good because we can turn our attention now to making fun of Duke again. I'm, I'm all in on that. All in on that. All right. Well, Dan, this has been fun. Thank you for joining us. Uh, appreciate you coming on here and giving your, your insights on the uh, the Boston College program. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Hey, it's a it's a pleasure. These are going to be some good times at Boston College. Don't sleep on them. I know I sound like a wicked homer, but it's okay. Uh, we're we're going to be. Uh, it's going to things are going to be okay. Yeah.